Well, if you're new here, my name is Lance Williams, and um, I get the honor and privilege of being a lead pastor here at The Grove. And so, um, man, it's just uh, it's good to see many new faces and many returning faces. Um, so just excited that you're here. If you're tuning in online, we're grateful that you're here. One thing that I forgot to put on the announcement list is the Lent Guide. And so I want to put your attention to that just for a moment because he just uh, said something about uh, fasting from social media. Uh, we are going to call for a church-wide fast from social media, uh, not this week, but next week. So some of you need a week to prepare and hyperventilate between now and then, and I want to give that to you. So if you've not read your, uh, your Lent guide, if you've not gone that far ahead, we are going to ask that you do fast from that for two weeks, the final two weeks. And I would just wonder what kind of Easter you will celebrate uh, when your soul is disconnected from everybody else's opinion. Uh, and so it'll be good. I've been disconnected for a while, which is why I can say that with a little, little umph, uh, because it's true. And so uh, anyways, that's coming. If you need to hyperventilate between now and then, you can call Cassie. Don't call me. She's the one. It was her idea. Uh, so there you go. No, it wasn't her idea, but nonetheless, I'm going to throw her under the bus anyway. So uh, there you go. All right, so here we go. We're going we're gonna to continue to walk through this passage during Lent. Uh, with Matthew 6, 25 through 34, which Marlon just read, and we're just bit by bit kind of picking this thing apart uh, as we go through. And ultimately, it's a lot of repetition, but that's on purpose. You see, Jesus knows this truth, that the more we accumulate, uh, the more we're going to be anxious. Uh, and so he says that out of basically out of verse 25 or so when he's building, or 24, when he's building these arguments saying, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't do both. And he'll tell us that again and again. And so then he starts off this passage by saying, therefore, therefore, he's building off of that statement to now make all these arguments about how anxiety and possessions or accumulation go hand in hand. And it's no uh, accident that we walk into the wilderness with Jesus during Lent. And so a few reminders, just of some things that we've covered so far in our first few weeks of Lent this year, especially going through this passage. Number one, not all anxiety is sin. We see Jesus sweating blood at the end of his life. Some people would call that anxious. Uh, instead, it is the giving yourself to anxiety. It is, uh, it is what Matt Barnhill said last week of the obsession over, uh, over thoughts, right? He said this last week, worry or anxiety is entertaining negative thoughts, uncertain outcomes, and repeating them in your mind. It is the result of misplacing value. And so throughout this, Jesus is constantly reminding us of the great question that he wants us to, to truly chew on. Not all the uncertain circumstances, but this question of why are you anxious? Why are you anxious. And so he's going to ask us that today, right? What are you placing your value in that's creating this sort of obsession over the uncertainty of the future? You see, the kind of anxiety which Jesus is guarding against is not just a concern, but an over-concern with certain things. We also discovered over these last couple of weeks that Jesus is not disconnected with your reality when he commands you to not be anxious. It is a command, it is a, a repeated command throughout all of Scripture that we would not be anxious. Again, given over to the quote-unquote chewing of the cud of uncertainties. Just constantly chewing on what might happen. Oh, this could happen. And the percentages, like you start playing that percentage game. That's what he's calling us to kind of get out of our life. And he is not uh, disconnected from our reality. Instead, every command, remember this, and I wonder how this will change your view of God's command on your life. Do you see them as way too heavy of a burden, or do you see them as God protecting you from death? 
see, that's what commands uh, really are meant to do. They are the path to life. They are a light unto my path. See, the commands, the scriptures tell us what is truly life-giving and what is a place that is going to be death for us. It may not seem like that at first, but we eat enough sugar and it's going to rot our teeth. It's going to end in loss. It's going to end in theft. It's going to end in danger and in death. This is therefore not harshness on the part of Jesus, but deep compassion to guide us with the truth and grace. So we get to this point, right, where he is reminding us of like, that why anxiety isn't just this thing that we socially should begin to accept. We battle against it with all, with all necessary means, with counselor, with medication if necessary, for whatever season that takes, to rebalance us, to get in, back into this fight, to not over, uh, be overly concerned with things that are out of value for us. And he does that, again, not out of a harsh heart. But he also doesn't leave anxiety as the one thing that is just okay. Instead, he couples it all together in the Sermon on the Mount, also with people that lust, also with people that struggle with anger, also with people that struggle with with greed and revenge and compulsive lying. Our kid's going to learn about our buddy Jacob. Like some of us are named after Jacob, which means the deceiver. (laughs) I can't laugh really too hard. I named my son Moses, who was a murderer. So there you go. But nonetheless, right, God is calling us to a place of protection, a place of life. And he won't leave anybody out of this invitation as he walks into the wilderness. And so, again, we kind of are reminded of the context of Matthew 6, that he's calling us to not worry so much about accumulation, but, against the God, but, but truly be concerned with the Father who cares for us. So he now goes, he's gone through, like, look at the birds of the field. Our Lent guide had you go look at the birds of the field or the birds of the air and, and how, they, how they operate. What are their limitations? What are the things that they do on a regular basis? I don't know if you heard this, but my kids' uh, memory verse, there was just all kinds of noise in the background, and most of it was birds, and I just wanted them to be quiet for a moment. It was too early in the morning for them to be quiet because they know the mercies are new and they're singing about it. That's what I noticed. And now he's going to the flowers of the field, right? In verse 28, he, he invites us into this consideration. And why are you anxious about clothing? Why are you anxious, friends? It's a great first question. Why are you anxious? What's driving the anxiety? What's driving uh, the misplaced value and accumulation and in stuff and in money and what money provides? What's driving you? What's driving you? You see, so far, Jesus has been concerned about food and drink, about the things that we put into our body, but now he's going to transition and go, now also, why are you anxious about what you put on to your body? Not just in, but on. And as he does so, this is not the first question that he has, he has asked to provoke us, right? Not just why are you anxious, but just one verse before this, what does he say? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And isn't that the core of all anxiety? Isn't that the core of all worry that you want to add to your life? You want to, you want to bring hours to your existence. And deep underneath that, which is where we are going to end our time today and, and start it into next week, is, oh, you of little faith. That there's this, there's this, there's this tie-in between God's provision and our trust or our faith. 
And so what he's really asking us to do is to consider truly, why are you anxious? You can't add an hour to your life, and yet all anxiety is rooted not just in trying to add to our life, but gets this, like it's also rooted in our distrust of however long God has for us on this earth. And so we try to manipulate, we try to plead, and we wonder what is that number that God says he's ordained for our lives. And if we're not careful, if we give ourselves over to the like, compulsion to try and control our uncertainty, what we're really doing is saying, man, I don't trust you, Lord. I don't trust you and your authorship of my life and your fatherhood of your care for me. And so he continues to ask the question, why are you anxious? But that's not the only question that he asks, right? He also, he also asks how much more? And he says it three times in this passage. Verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, are you not of more value than those birds that you're now looking at? And how about now with the lilies of the field? Will God not, will God not much more clothe you? In verse 30, how much more of value are you than the fields? How much of more value are you than the birds? And yet look at the birds. Look at nature. Consider what's going on here so that we can see the true care of our Father, which, by the way, sets us free from being obsessed with these thoughts. If we would just truly fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, then these worries seem less and less important. And that, again, is not a place, and not, a, not, a, not a guide, and not, a, not an, a, a command that is misplaced out of harshness or disconnection of your life. Instead, he is reminding you of the truth. So here's the point, right? So why are you so anxious about what you're going to wear, about your clothing? And he says basically this, if God will take care of you physically, certainly he will take care of you spiritually and also vice versa. If you look at what God has taken care of you spiritually, will he not also take care of you physically? Did you know that one of the main things uh, that, that, that the scriptures talk about when Israelites uh, come back out of exile, so if you don't know the history, right, they get taken into Egypt, they are slaves in Egypt, they get, uh, they get, uh, the exodus happens out of Egypt, they set up a kingdom where there are all kinds of things going on in the kingdom for many years, they disobey God, so God takes the kingdom away from Israel, sends them into exile, into Babylon and Assyria, which is like their worst enemies, right? He sends them there, and on their way back out of exile, back into the promised land of Israel. It's Nehemiah that says, did God not care for them who were in the desert and clothe them? Their feet weren't even swollen for 40 years. Their clothes lasted for 40 years. And what is he reminding his people of? What is he reminding us of? That if he will take care of swollen feet and clothing, he's going to take care of you for all time because you're his people. Doesn't matter how much you've sinned. Doesn't matter what the consequences have been. He can send you out to exile for 70 years, but yet he is longing to forgive, to show compassion, to show mercy, to bring you back into the fold, and he will he not still clothe you? Yes, of course he will. You see, food and water and clothing are not just bare necessities, but ways which we fashion our identity. 
Do we not? So this is one of the reasons why I'm just giving you a heads up on the social media fast. Your Instagram and your Pinterest uh, wall shows how obsessed you are with watching what other people eat, with, with seeing pictures of what other people drink, and seeing what they do to clothe their home. They're not even clothing themselves anymore. We're just clothing our homes and putting that on social media. We're obsessed with it. I mean, how many uh, shows can you watch that travel the world and obsess over eating. It's just eating in a different place. It's a travel show, but really it's about the restaurant that they're going to or the somebody's house that they're going to. It's just eating in a different place, just eating different food. We're obsessed with it, and those shows will continue to get just thrown out at us again and again and again. You've seen one, you've seen a hundred. Right? We're obsessed with this idea of eating and drinking and clothing. And so I just ask, why is that so popular? It hits on some human basic need to be clothed, to be fed, to not have any thirst anymore. And Jesus has come to tell us, man, if you would just not be anxious, don't focus on all the things you wished you had or hope you'll get tomorrow. And said he refocuses us and says, look at the flowers. Look at the flowers. So we keep reading, right? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Like they, haven't, they haven't fashioned for themselves the beauty that they have. They haven't worked to put themselves in fertile soil. No, God has done all those things. So just look at the flowers. And this word for consider cannot be done with a glance. It's another way of saying examine the field. So this week's Lent guide is not just to look at the the, the, the birds, but now it's time to go and maybe go down to Enchanted Gardens and just start asking questions about flowers and about grass and all those sorts of things. Or ask your boy Shane Zercher about the proper uh, mixture of all the different things that happen with grass and how it grows, right? What you need to see happen. See, that's, that's the call. And we might go, well, that's silly. It's grass for crying out loud. Yeah, I know we take for granted. I put my sprinklers on this morning for the first time. I was like, it's still not coming back. We got we to get some water on this thing. We take it for granted until it's gone, but we've got to consider it. We've got to examine it. When you go into a medical exam, an annual medical exam, they are looking at you and your body and, and all the little metrics intently to figure out what your body is going to reveal to them about some care that you need going into the future. The same thing can be said for us to go and examine the, like nature examine, yes, the birds, examine, yes, the fields, so that it can reveal to you not just the care that you need into the future, but the kind of care that God has already provided in his son Jesus. See, that's what happens when we examine. That's what happens when we consider the lilies of the field. You might be saying, like, what's the big deal? Uh, there's a book uh, called Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's by a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's late, great Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's with Jesus now. But he says this about, or, or something along the lines of this in his, in his studies. He says, the cure for anxiety is to believe in a deliberate and detailed God who authored all things. And all of life that he did not start something without the same power and intent to sustain it. So he didn't just throw everything into motion and step back. No, he is intricately involved. He goes on to say that if you believe that you were put here by some chance, by some random mutation of cells over time, and that the whole world is put together by that same equation of random mutation, then we will never truly believe that the God, the author of life, cares as deeply as he does about every single cell in our body. 
we will, we will simply throw it up to something else instead of having a deeper faith, a deeper understanding of God's authorship and care. You see, this is nothing new. This is all throughout the scriptures. And so Romans 1 will tell us this about considering nature. Why would we consider nature? Why would we look at creation? Why would we look at the birds and the lilies of the field? I'll tell you why. Or actually, Paul will tell us why in Romans 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power. Y'all checking that out? His power. You want to know how not to be anxious? Consider the lilies of the field, because in the lilies of the field, you will see his power. You will see his divine nature. What is he like? Just go consider. Examine. See, all these things have been clearly perceived ever since the creation. It's creation of the world in the things that he, that have been made. You see, that's what cures the anxious heart, right? That's what the anxious heart needs. They need to know that someone is in control of things when it's chaotic. They need to know that someone knows how life works, and who better than the author of life? Who better than the creator of all things? Yes, indeed, we have that in Jesus. Colossians 1 will continue to say this, For by him, 1, 16 and 17, for by Jesus all things were created. That's right. Jesus created all things. He's there in Genesis 1. In heaven and on earth, both the things that we see and the things we can't see. Yeah, that's right. He says, he goes on, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, he made them all. All things were created through Jesus. And you, my friend, were created for Jesus. And so were the lilies, and so were the birds, and so is every little part of the whole system. He is before all things, and in him, you've, you've, read, you've sang the song, he got the whole world in his hands. Not just a song, it's right here in Colossians 1, that in him all things hold together. So good news, friends, he holds things together so you don't have to. He holds the future together. He's written it. He knows it. He's Alpha and Omega. He knows exactly how this whole thing is going to end, how your life's going to end, what day it's going to end on, how it's going to end. And we, we are but a vapor, right? That's what he continues to say. He'll, we are, though, of much more value, even being a vapor, of much more value than the lilies, than the birds. And so he asks the question, how much more? So as we end, and I know you're thinking to yourself, I'm sorry, did you just say end? It feels like you're just getting ramped up. Yeah, that's right. As we end with this final uh, uh, push, right? It is a little bit meatier here at the end, but we're still on the way to the end. We got three antidotes for this anxiety, right? There's three. Number one, I've already talked about. Consider the lilies of the field. You examine it with the intent of learning something from the flowers of the fields. But because we had a hard freeze, we didn't have those flowers of the fields yet. So go on down to Enchanted Gardens and just examine the flowers in the pots. Examine. Look. Learn something there. You see, you can be reminded of things that my fifth grader have learned about photosynthesis about how God has intricately woven even plants to store up things in their leaves, right? Storing up CO2 and trapping energy from sunlight to, that we would, they would draw up water from their roots. And this whole process, right, is for their life and their lifespan. 
and more than that, right? You could go and look at like the, the flowering plants, uh, the life cycle of flowering plants that you put the seed in the ground and it germinates and grows and then a bee's got to come along and take some of the pollen from the flower and all of a sudden we've got allergies. Oh no, that's part of the fall. That's not part of God's creation because it must cause me suffering. But nonetheless, we consider these things again and again and examine these things again and again so that we can see the nature of God. And Jeremiah 32 says this. Look at the nature of God. Oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. Don't attribute it to anyone else or anything else. It's you, O oh Lord, that made the heavens and the earth. And when we look at that, by your great power and your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. If you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with, with an over-concern of uncertain outcomes, nothing is too hard for the outstretched hand of the Lord God Almighty. That's consider, examine. But not only that, Jesus says something else. He says this. He says, now look at, look at your boy Solomon now. Verse 29 Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these lilies of the field. What is he doing bringing up Solomon? Well, to understand that, we would need to go all the way over to 1 Kings chapter 10. So follow me there. If you've got a Bible app, that should be easy to do. If you've got a Bible, 1 Kings is in the Old Testament, right before 2 Kings. I know that's crazy, but it's just right before 2 Kings. Yeah. And it's right after 2 Samuel. So 1 Kings 10, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You should read it. But I am going to read several verses. Look at what he, when he says, this is what is in the, in, the, in the mind of the listener of this sermon originally. When he says, even Solomon, even Solomon can't hold a candle to the lilies of the field. The person that's listening to that knows these things instinctively. So look at what he is referencing here in verses 6 and 7. And this is now, the, the context here is that Queen of Sheba has gone to look at Solomon. She's gone to examine kind of all the things that he has because his reputation has gone throughout all of the, the ancient world as the wisest, the richest, like the most blessed by the gods, so to speak. And so she comes and she goes, man, i got to go check this out for myself. I don't want to go hear about this. If it's that good, I want to go put my eyes on it. And so these are the things that happen and that she sees, right? And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Do you want to know how to get through the next season of life? The God of all wisdom, the fountain of all wisdom. Wisdom says in James, if you need wisdom, ask your Father in heaven, and he'll give it to you. And, and we know that he will because he's done it to someone else that asked for it, Solomon. That all of his wisdom far surpassed, doubled what the reports were for her to come all that way and to see exactly what Solomon had in wisdom and in riches. Even Solomon in all the glory of his wisdom was not arrayed like one of these flowers of the field. So friend, how much more you he goes on to say this, she goes on to say this in verse 8, happy are your men in 1 Kings 10. I mean, not only are you wise, not only are you rich, but you haven't exploited that and used that to abuse your people. Look at your people. They're happy. 
Happy are your men. Happy are your servants. Your servants are happy? In a kingdom? Who continually stand before you and they hear your wisdom. What is he inviting us to think about with this King Jesus as he refers back to King Solomon? Can I be happy in want and in excess? You see, God has promised it through his presence. Even Solomon in all the glory of happiness was not clothed like the flowers of the field. So how much more you, friend? If it's not happiness, if it's not wisdom, perhaps you're the kind of person that just needs a wrong righted. You need some justice in this world. Well, good news. The Queen of Sheba has a report for you today based on Jesus' teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount in verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. See, the things that that dispel our worries are the characteristics of God. Not only is he generous in wisdom, not only is he the dispenser of joy and gladness and blessing, but also justice and righteousness. And so we long for him to do these things in the here and now. We don't have to take these matters into our own hands, although it's part of how he dispenses righteousness and justice. And so we trust him to do these things over time that, yes, even Solomon and all the glory of the justice and righteousness that he had to rule with was not fashioned like the grass of the field. So how much more you, friend? And we go down to verse 23. I want you to see this, this great summary statement. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. He had it all, y'all. You want more? He had it all. And Jesus is now saying, but he doesn't have anything compared to the flowers of the field. The riches that they have overshadow him by far. And so, friends, how much more you, son or daughter of the King Most High, how much more you that wants to flourish in the kingdom of Jesus, how much more you that was purchased and blood-bought by the Son of God, that the Lamb truly would be slain for the sins of the world. How much more us, if we would believe these simple things. See, they're not just like words written on a page a long time ago. These are things that will bring us to life. These are things that will set us free. These are things that will, will, will get rid of sin, whether it be small, little peccadillos, or the big sins that we don't like to talk about at parties and here in this room, right? These are the things that God has, has set us free from if we would just continue to keep our eye on the author and the perfecter of our faith, our good and gracious Heavenly Father who continues to give us all that we need. And that's why we consider the fields. That's why we look at Solomon. But we also look to Jesus, do we not? You see these three antidotes to, to anxiety? Yes, we consider the fields. Yes, we remember Solomon. But we also look to Jesus because look at what he did. I've got a few verses for you. So just read along. They're going to come up on the screen. Why does Jesus mention Solomon? Because as great as Solomon was, it doesn't compare to the flowers of the field. And the flowers of the field don't compare to the value and worth that God has for you. Because after all, he's telling us, hey, look, don't worry about food. Don't worry about drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And all those things uh, physically point to a spiritual need that Jesus has already met in him. I go back to this statement that whatever he, he, he provided for us physically, he'll also provide for us spiritually and vice versa. Whatever he's provided for us spiritually, will he not much more provide for us physically? 
is a whole lot more difficult for God to do something spiritually for us because that means raising the dead than it is to just provide a little bird seed for the birds. Which, again, a good picture of God's simple care and provision for us. So look at what he does for us spiritually. You need food. You need sustenance for your soul. We should say yes to that. And Jesus says to them in John 6, I am the bread of life. I am the manna that came down from heaven in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You need sustenance. You need food. Man, God has already provided all you need in his son, Jesus. How about, how about drink? How about satisfaction? You see, he says to the woman at the well in John 4, verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give that person will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You need something satisfactory for your soul. Man, God is promising that in himself. He will never let you go dry no matter how dry you feel in the wilderness. You need food, he'll give you sustenance in his son Jesus. You need drink, he'll give you satisfaction in his son Jesus. You need clothing where we find much of our significance. Like right now, if I was in a suit, I would have gotten all kinds of comments of like, whoa, did we miss a memo? Whoa, what are you all dressed up for? And I thought about uh, wearing a suit, but then I thought better of it and I didn't want to be uncomfortable. Because I can just talk about it and say the same thing. And ultimately it's this, like we find significance and all of a sudden you walk into a place that everybody's wearing a little bit something uh, dressier than you and you feel a little bit awkward, do you not? I remember going to a baby shower when me and my wife were first married and I walked into the house in River Oaks with my shirt untucked and I walked right back out and I tucked my shirt in. There's a significance there uh, of clothing that happens for us in our soul. Something happens, right? When we, my wife is giggling in the front row because she knows exactly that moment. I'm sorry, I got distracted. Yeah, I know. Nonetheless, there's a significance that comes when we clothe ourselves, and the greatest significance that we can have is out of Galatians 3, when, G, when Paul says this, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. You see, if we believe these things spiritually, how how easier, how much easier is it to worry about food, drink, clothing, the accumulation of things that come with more and more money? How much money is enough? A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. I just got all these things, I got all these hopes, I got all these dreams, just a little bit more. What Jesus is continually reminding us of is that that type of mentality continues to be a trap continues to be a trap for us. It's a, it's, a, it's a way to death. And instead, he's calling us back to a simplicity. Just look at him and how he cares for us. Look at how our Father cares for his people. If we just remember that again and again, if we forget, man, he's provided all the examples that we would just look around at nature to kind of see what kind of power this God has so that we continue to trust him on deeper levels again and again. If he will do all these things, for things that are here today and gone tomorrow. How much more for you? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. 
We don't get to say that without your love for us. All of our life is a response to the kind of sacrifice that we think you made. It's not to the sacrifice that you actually made. It's our life is a response to what we believe about the sacrifice that you made. We know that your sacrifice was better and greater, more significant than anything that has ever been done for anyone. It's shaken up the whole world, and yet we treat it as if it's some, some sort of optional candy at the end of a, 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 of a meal. But instead, it is the meal. So Holy Spirit, comfort us where we need to be comforted. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Look at our physical reality. We got closets full of clothes, and we just can we, can we look at that not just as a as a place of guilt. We can look at our, our our garages full of toys, not just a place of guilt. To bring this back to a few weeks ago, but instead as a place of like that's a representation of how much more you will provide for your people. We got excess. And you're saying, man, that's nothing compared to the riches I have in my son Jesus, which I've given to you, if you would believe. We want to know where satisfaction is found. It's in Jesus. So help us, Lord. We want to know where sustenance is found, our daily bread. Lord, you you call us to ask you for it. We want to know on what to wear. Let's put on Christ again and again. Every day, Lord, through Lent, may we be reminded of your goodness. Oh, of your power of your mercy as we continue to journey. Help us where we need help. Correct us where we need correcting. Be with us as we wander aimlessly days at times. As we wander, bring us back patiently into the fold. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.